0: The holidays get us thinking about family tradition. So when I say to you family tradition, uh, what do you think of? I think a lot of us think of those ceremonial things that are a part of family life, like on the 4th of July, we have homemade ice cream. On Christmas Eve in the morning, we bake Christmas cookies. Those are family traditions, ceremonial kinds of things we do that hold uh, the, the family together and create memories year to year to year. That's what most people think of when they hear the words family tradition. When I hear the words family tradition, I think Hank Williams, Jr. That's, that's what I think of. And some of you may be old enough to know what I'm talking about. I, I grew up in a home where my dad owned and operated a little small country and western radio station. And at the time, you had to be 14 years old. Before you could operate the equipment so on the on my 14th birthday I applied for a third phone radio license is what they called so that I could be a DJ at my dad's station. I got that in I was so excited and I began to be a DJ at 14 years old little country uh, Western music uh, radio station and one of the songs that was most popular requested was a song called family tradition by Hank Williams jr. Now, it may surprise you, Hank Williams Jr. is not singing about baking Christmas cookies or making homemade ice cream in that song. In fact, what he is singing about is how his hard-living, reckless lifestyle that he has adopted um, is, is a family tradition that he inherited from his daddy. He saw his dad, Hank Williams, live this way, and he decided he was going to live that way as well. Now is when it's okay to ask yourselves, Derek, where are you going with this? And uh, here's where I'm going with it. If you would, please open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Today, uh, the message is called Family Tradition because it will teach us that there are certain characteristics, lifestyles, actions, habits that are to be family traditions for those who claim kinship with God as Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the idea of family is going to hop in on us really, really quickly. You'll see it right off. I hope you found First John chapter 5. If you would please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. First John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Thank you for standing in honor of God's Word. You may be seated. Now, my guess is is that you picked up really quickly on why this entire message is built around the idea of family. It's actually rooted in the very first words that we read, the first part of verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Uh, Sometimes it is helpful for us to feel the, the rhetorical weight that a writer is trying to get across Um, If we take the language in which he is writing, which for John would be the Greek language, and translate it literally. There's something odd, though, about doing that. If you take that biblical Greek and translate it literally and just read it that way, it makes you sound like Yoda. (laughs) The sentence structures are kind of all out of of proportion and and don't fall where you think this should fall. But if you were to translate it literally, what, what John would be saying is, all who believe that Jesus is the Christ, God is the parent of and in, in fact that idea born of god really literally is fathered so the idea that john is getting across is that everyone who makes the profession of faith that jesus christ is savior and lord has been fathered by god he is in a real sense our father now john is not interested here in talking about the mechanisms by which god fathers us he is not trying to unpack the mystery uh, the tension between between election and free will, that's not his point. His point is simply that when we have given our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it is evidence, it is indicative that we have been fathered by God, and therefore we are members of God's family. Now, you really didn't need a preacher to figure all of that out, but if you don't understand how, how much he's driving this point home here, the rest of it will not feel to you like it needs to feel. He's saying because we have the special nature as the very children of God, people who have been fathered by God, there are certain things that show up in our lives that are evidence of that. There are family traditions that are to be kept, and that's where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. Here's the first thing that he talks to us by way of tradition if we're in the family of God. We love God's children, we love God's children, or more perhaps more clearly, we love God's other children besides Jesus the Son and then the one child of God that we look at in the mirror all the time. We love the children of God. We love everyone who is fathered by God. Look at the last part of verse 1, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born by Him. Plain and simple, to love the Father is to love His children. Again, to kind of get as literal as we can get with it, to bring the power out in it. Everyone who loves the Father loves those the Father has fathered. There are no conditions at all. Last week we, we talked about the, uh, the shared experience of God's love and, and how that should be directed to those who are in the body of Christ. Again, the idea being is that if we've been fathered by God, it is natural that we're going to love His other children. We talked about it broadly. That means we should also love everybody, but there ought to be a particular kind of love that ought to manifest itself as we, as we relate to one another as the body of Christ. And so we see here John's not quite done filling that thought out. If faith in Jesus is a sign that we have been fathered by God, that's what he says in the first part of verse 1, then it stands to reason that loving those whom God has fathered, loving the church, is a sign of being fathered by God as well. So how do I know that God is my Father? In part, by loving those the Father has fathered. Now there's an interesting party trick that Christians have exercised over the years that kind of gets them out of the harder edges of this. I don't know if you've noted, about you, uh, noted this, but sometimes Christians can be difficult to love. Anybody have any problem with that at all? Sometimes, sometimes Christians can be difficult to love, and then we see this thing, the Father, if He loves me and I'm loved by the Father, and He is my Father, then I love those the Father has fathered, and so we have this, this pickle that we find ourselves to be in, and then we work our way out of it. Here's how. Years ago, when I was a very young pastor in rural Tennessee, um, I would meet every Monday, or almost every Monday, with uh, a group of pastors in the area. Baptist are organized at the local level, thing called an association. I would meet with these pastors. We'd have coffee at our little building that we would meet in um, for uh, um, every Monday, and. Um, There was this one guy there. At the time, I thought he was ancient. thought he was very old. As I look back on it now legitimately, he was probably younger than I am at the moment. But at the time, I thought he was very, very old, and he was always going on about his church and how his church was at war with his leadership. Now, it turns out, as I got to know him more and more, the reason that the church was at war with his leadership is because he was a holier-than-thou jerk, and he just didn't have a very long self-life at any church. And so he would, everybody would go to war against him because he was a jerk at one church, and they didn't move. And it just, this kind of jerkiness followed him around because he himself was a jerk. But he was just always going on about how the church was at war with his, with his leadership. And, and, and one day he was opining about his situation, and he said, you know, the Lord just revealed something to me. Now, listen, the Lord was always revealing stuff to him. I mean, he was, I mean, he must have been God's favorite target for revealing stuff. The Lord was always revealing stuff to this guy. He said, the Lord just revealed something to me, Derek. He said, you don't have to shepherd goats. And then he looked at me like that, you know. I just figured something out. You don't have to shepherd goats. The implication of what he was saying to me was very clear. I'm only called to shepherd sheep. I'm only called to shepherd the people in God's flock. And these people that are opposing my leadership are not Christians. They, they, they if they're obe- disobeying my leadership, they clearly are, are, not, are not Christians. And I thought to myself, "That is awesome. You, you mean anybody that ticks me off, all I have to do is convince myself they're not Christians, and then I don't have to love them anymore. How do I figure that? How do I do that? That's awesome. Now I think we can all figure out that there's probably some problems with living that way. Love is hard. It's a fact of the matter. Jesus is not telling us through John that you just need to love uh, the other children of God because all the time they're lovable. How many people have siblings? Anybody ever do physical violence to a sibling at any point in your life? All right? A few of you still honest. <laughs> you can put your hand down, Micah. Micah. Micah thought it was time to repent. I did that. I'm sorry. but But we're not being told here that you only love the children when they're lovable, or that they're all the time going to be lovable. I mean, sometimes sheep, to borrow my pastor friend's metaphor, sometimes sheep are stinky and stupid and hard to love. And sometimes the stinky, stupid sheep that looks at you in the mirror every day is hard to love. But if you love the father, you will, as a family tradition, as a, as a component of his fathership in your life, love those whom the father has fathered. Doesn't mean you're always going to agree with them. Doesn't mean that there will be times where, when you are, are, are angry or not angry with them. What it does mean is that what will characterize your relationship with other followers of Jesus, even if you disagree with Him, will be fundamentally love Because the Father has begotten me through Christ, I will share His love for His other children. One of the signs of being the Father's child is a love for those whom the Father has fathered. And it is a family tradition, then, that we love God's children. Next, we're told that it is a family tradition that we obey God's commands, that we obey God's commands. That thought comes to us beginning in verse 3. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Now, this is, it's not necessarily apparent to us in our English translations, th- this is a notoriously difficult verse to translate because people don't know what to do with the this, the second word in English, in the English Standard Version, in this verse, by this. What do we do with this? Is he saying, by this, this thing I'm getting ready to say? Or is he saying, by this, this thing that I've just referred to? And there are people that come down all across the spectrum on that debate who know more about this Um, than I'll ever know. But here's my stab at it. I think the this is actually going back to what's come before. And I think ultimately what he's referring to is having been born of God. So how do we know that we've been born of God? By this, the first thing, and he kind of comes back to it, Um, that we love the children of God but then he adds to it and says by this we know we've been fathered by God that we love God when we love God and obey his commandments and so he's added to this the idea of keeping God's commands how do we know that we have been loved by God how do we know that we love God by keeping His commands. And he expands that into verse 3. For this is the love of God. Here's If you want to know what it is, if you want to know what love for God actually is, this is it. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Now I want to stop right there because the last part of that verse is super interesting. I just don't want to touch on it right now. It says, by this we know the, the love of God. We've experienced it. This is how we know we are His children. That we keep commandments. His commandments. It's clear here he's transitioned to the idea of actual obedience, that when we are children of God, we are going to be enthusiastic about doing that which God has called us to do. Doing what the Father says then becomes a family tradition, and our love for God is proven, actually, by our obedience. Jesus, as we all know, taught in parables, And one of the parables that he taught that doesn't get as much press as all the others is known as the parable of the two sons. It comes to us in Matthew chapter 28, or 21, verse 28. You don't have to turn there. It's short. I'll just read it to you. It should be on your screens. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. Anybody here ever been a parent? Heard things like that? need you to do this. No. All right, this is parenting 101. The child said, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind he went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I'll go, sir. In other words, I'll do it. Anybody here, a parent, ever heard that? I'll do it. I'll get it done. But he did not go. And then he asked a simple question. Which of the two did the will of his father And they said, the people he was challenging, they said, the first. What's Jesus doing here? Jesus is talking about the idea that love for God cannot be lip service. We can't just simply say, I love God. We can't simply say, um, I feel something towards God. We can't simply emote. That's not love for God. What is love for God? Love for God, Jesus is saying, is doing His will by obeying His commands. Jesus said that, so, so John picks it up. We know that we love God, that we have been fathered by God, by loving those whom the Father has fathered, and then by doing what our Father says to us. This is the family tradition. Now, I don't know about you, sometimes, just like the Father's other children are difficult to love, sometimes it's difficult for me to do what the Father says for me to do. As a matter of fact, I've learned, another little party trick here, is that if I find myself uh, finding it easy to do certain kinds of things, that I just build my moral code around my strengths. I mean, there are a lot of things that I don't struggle with, like you. There are a lot of things we don't struggle with at all. So I'm going to build my little moral code around this, and then I'm just going to rationalize away the hard edges. I can say, well, those things are important, but it's, it's more important that you do this, and, and I do this. So I I really do love Jesus. When I was growing up, it was all the idea of dancing, all right? Baptists, when I was growing up, didn't believe in dancing or at least didn't believe in doing it well, from what I could tell. And so that was one of these things. Now, I I don't even know where you'd start to build a case for not dancing um, in in, in Scripture. Um, But but that was one of the things, and they just kind of deified it, and they put it right there in the middle, and this is proof. Um, But those same people that said the way you manifest um, love for God is by obeying the command, wherever that is, not to dance, could also just treat other people in the church terribly. They just rationalized rationalized those things away. And again, what John is saying here, just like he didn't make any kind of wiggle room, you only have to love the lovable children, He's, he's not saying you only have to do the easy commands. You have to do all of them. Then he says this, this is the last part of verse 3, and his commands are not burdensome. There's joy in doing it. You want me to do this hard thing, God, Father? Yes, I'll do it. I'm enthusiastic about it. I mean, when the children were small, they'd have these kind of golden moments where They just wanted to do everything you ask them to do. They wanted to be your best little helper. So Caleb and Abby would follow us around. What can I do? I want you to do this. And man, they'd throw their little bodies into doing that, and they'd be so excited. And the reason they were so excited about doing it is because they just loved Dad, and they just loved Mom. They just wanted to do what Mom and Dad wanted them to do. That's the picture here. We are so enthusiastic about honoring the Father that will do whatever it is that He asked for us to do. So there's two family traditions we've talked about so far. Part of the family tradition, part of being in the family of God, is you love the other children. You love those whom the Father has fathered. Second thing is, is that you obey the commands, all of them. You don't try to rationalize the hard ones away. And that thing is not a burden. And I'm telling you, if we stopped at verse 3, this sermon would be terrible news. Terrible news. Terrible news. Because I have a hard time sometimes loving others. Sometimes some of you tick me off. Sometimes I may tick some of you off. Sometimes God asked me to do some things that are clearly seen in His words that I'm just not quite ready to do or let go of things I'm not quite ready to release. And so if being a part of the Father's family, if truly being fathered by the Father means that these things got to show up in my life perfectly, I'm sunk. And so are you. Were it not for this last family tradition? Not only do we love the Father's children, not only do we obey the Father's commands, finally, we live in the Father. We live in God's strength. We do these things because of the strength of the Father in us. And this is what we need to hear more than anything else today. It it begins to to unfold in in verse 4. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now, he's saying everyone who has been fathered by the Father in this moment overcomes the world. Now, the world is, as we've said before, it references the system that is in rebellion against God that manifests itself as individual sin. So, so what he's saying here, let's make sure we get it, the ones who have been fathered by the fathered overcome, have overcome that system in opposition to God, have overcome sin. He's saying that the experience of the father's children is that they have overcome sin. And he didn't qualify. Let that sink in for a minute. They have overcome sin. And then let's keep reading. How are we able to do this? How is it that we've overcome sin? And this is the victory that has overcome the world. This is how you have overcome the world, our faith. Overcome by our faith. John does something with that word faith in this verse that he doesn't do in any of the rest of his writings. In in his other writings, faith carries the idea of belief. But here, and only here in all of his writings, it carries the idea of confession. So what he's saying is is that the reason that you have overcome sin is because of your confession of faith in Jesus. So then, what he's saying is, is that the reason that you have overcome sin is because of Jesus. And then if you start tying everything together, you realize how much grace is involved in that. Because I think sometimes when we think about our confession of faith in Jesus Christ, and we see some others who have not given their lives to Jesus Christ, our tendency is to think, well, they're just not as smart as I am, or they're just not as spiritually gifted as I am, or they just aren't as holy as I am. That's why they haven't received Christ. I received Christ because I just figured it all out. Go back to verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God meaning what? Meaning they didn't figure it out. The reason they came to that confession of faith in the first place is because God fathered them. You cannot make the profession of faith that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him had it not been for the fact that He loved you first, that He fathered you. I had nothing to do with my physical birth, and I had nothing to do with my spiritual birth. And so when I have given my life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, there is a, there is a thing that happens as as an outflow of that. That I share in Christ's victory. His victory over sin becomes my victory. And it's more than just my victory in that my standing is changed. It becomes my, my victory in the actual living out of my life. Everyone who's been born of God, everyone who makes this profession of faith, puts all their chips towards the middle with Jesus. Everyone who does that overcomes the world. And this is the victory. This is how it came about, our faith, our faith in Jesus. And then to drive home the point of grace in all of this, he says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Who is able to overcome the world? The person who has given their life to Christ. Now, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It doesn't mean that you just get to go to heaven when you die, and that's the only thing we sell as Christians. When, When we give our life to Jesus, when we become Christians, what we experience is the life of Christ in us, Christ in us the hope of glory, and our life begins to become a reflection of the life of Christ, the kind of life that he would have lived if he were us. What happens is that Jesus begins to remake our life like his. So when I start experiencing victory in my faith, when I start having victory over sin in my life, it's not because I just sucked it up buttercup, and got it all figured out, the reason that I'm able to experience victory is because Jesus, just like He won my victory at the cross, is winning victory in that particular sin in my life. It's Jesus. I live in that strength, not my own. But I'll still mess up. So will you. We'll just mess up. We'll do that thing that we shouldn't do. Not reluctantly, but gleefully. We'll find ourselves doing it. So what do we do then? Do we have to suck it up? No. Remember what what John said at the beginning of this letter. Some of the most famous words in the letter. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I sin by not loving someone. I sin but not obeying the Father's commands. I betray my heritage. I don't keep the family tradition. Does that mean I'm excommunicated from the family? No. I repent, I confess, and I live continually in that grace that was shown me at salvation. You know why that is able to work? Because of how much of your sin you were saved from at the moment of your salvation. Do you know how much sin you were saved from at the moment of your salvation? all of it, all of it, meaning what? For me, it meant every sin that I committed up until about 8 o'clock in the evening on March the 26, 1978. But it also meant every sin that I've committed since then. Jesus didn't just even the account and said, Now, go figure it out. Jesus obliterated my sin on the cross and put me in right relationship with God through Him by His grace and then gave me His life to live it out. Listen, since March 26, 1978, I have figured out ways to sin that would blow your mind and have done it. But even that was forgiven because the grace of Christ is sufficient. And that grace of Christ that was sufficient to save me at the moment of my salvation, saving me of everything in my past and everything in my future, is the same grace that is sufficient for me when I come across someone that is difficult to love or I'm just being plain selfish and don't want to love. His grace is enough to have my life begin to reflect Him and love those whom the Father has fathered. His grace is enough. His grace is sufficient. When I find something in my life that is contrary to the Word of God, to have victory over it because His life gives me that kind of victory. And so, we have these family traditions. We love God's children. We obey God's commands. We live in God's strength. So let's do what this passage naturally asks us to do as we close. Let's ask ourselves if we've been very good kids. You're a child of God, but do you really love your brothers and sisters? How do you talk about the church? How do you talk about other church members? How do you talk about church leadership? How do you handle disagreements with other brothers or sisters in Christ? Do you spend more of your time looking at the shortcomings or disagreements that you have with other brothers and sisters than you do praying for them? You're a child of God. But could someone tell it by your effort to obey God's commands? Without knowing it, have you adopted the moral code book of another group, peer group, family, region of the country, political party, instead of making an effort to live uncompromisingly by the commands of God? Do you spend more time rationalizing away God's harder commands than you do trying to yield yourself fully to whatever God wants to do to put your life before Him as a canvas upon which you'll paint the life of Jesus? You're a child of God. But do you spend more time living in the power of self-belief? I've got this and I can figure it out and I'm just better than anybody else at this spiritual stuff rather than you do living humble and amazed by the grace that sustains you every single second? If people were honest with you, would they tell you they find yourself to be a humble, grace-dependent follower of Jesus? Or would they tell you that they find yourself to be a boastful, arrogant, pharisaical legalist who's always pointing out everybody else's flaws but has yet to look in the mirror? Loving God's children, obeying God's commands, and living in His strength To do the first two are signs that we've been fathered by God. They are family traditions. And so let's live in a way to make the Father proud and understand that the starting point for that is surrender to Jesus as our Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.